Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Paul Selig considered to be one of the foremost spiritual channels working today. In this breakthrough work of channeled literature, he has recorded an extraordinary program for personal and planetary evolution as humankind awakens to its own divine nature. He was born in New York City, received his master's degree from Yale. A spiritual experience in 1987 left him clairvoyant. We'll get him to describe that as a medium for a living. Paul has this unique ability to step into the people his clients ask about and often taking on their personalities and physical characteristics. If you've listened to Coast to Coast for some time, when Paul is on taking calls and we ask him questions into the spirit world, he does change, and you'll hear that later on tonight. Paul, welcome back, my friend. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you back again, too. You've been busy, I hear. I've been very busy, yeah. And the kingdom is that that you're wrapping up the trilogy. This will be the last book in that series, I guess. That's right. This is um, book nine, and this is wow. the last in a trilogy um, on Beyond the Known. They're talking about, you know, what happens when we let go of our ideas of reality and begin to trespass on what they say is our true heritage, which is our divinity and the manifestation of it. And you basically have written these books through these channeled spirit guides, haven't you? Well, you know, there's really no writing involved. I sit in a chair, I close my eyes, I hear one phrase repeated, I give it voice, and then the rest of the chapter or the, the lecture comes out. And it's the unedited transcripts of those recordings that become the books, the last I think five or six of books were done in front of live audiences, either online or, you know, in in workshops or, or theaters. So, yeah, I just sit in the chair and take the dictation. There's really no writing involved at all. Are you aware of your own consciousness when you're doing this? Yeah, but I'm receded. You know, I used to have a little meditation that I would do when I would start, where I would imagine climbing into the back seat of a car and turning the wheel over to the guide. So I'm present, but I'm receded, and I'm present enough in the back seat that if I hear them say something that just makes no sense or I can't get behind, I'm allowed to interrupt. And throughout the books I do, and they'll say, you know, Paul is asking, Paul is questioning, mm-hmm. and for the most part they have to take the questions because, you know, I'm the radio that they're broadcasting through. Um, so if I'm interfering they tend to support addressing whatever the concerns are. But, yeah, I'm receded, but I'm a conscious channel. I'm not in a trance. Paul, what was this 1987 event that got you into this clairvoyant stage? Well, you know, that event left me seeing lights around people, which was the beginning for me. And and it was an experience of energy. It was 87. I was 25 years old. I had just come to an awareness that there might be something more like god or some kind of spirit in the universe and i've been raised an atheist but i went up to the roof of this building that i lived in on the night of this event people were calling the harmonic convergence i heard people were going to be waking up and i thought well if there is a god or something like a god and you ask to be woken up why would it want to say no that that didn't make sense to me so i went up to the roof and i had a crystal and a mantra i thought you needed the props you know to wake up But I ended up having an experience of energy, and it was energy that sort of seemed to build from the base of my being and, you know, push up through the top of my head, and it left me, you know, swaying, you know, on this rooftop. It was, it was, 
very physical and it was very palpable for me. And, you know, in retrospect, I say, you know, for all I know, I was hyperventilating. I don't really know what happened. People said it sounded like a spontaneous Kundalini awakening. I was actually using a Kundalini mantra, but I didn't know what Kundalini was. Somebody just said, say this and, you know, you'll meditate. So that was the beginning for me. And I think given how I was raised, which was to believe that this was sort of for stupid people, um, I needed something that felt tangible to me that I could hold on to. And then I started seeing little lights around people. And that was the beginning of the clairvoyance. And I began feeling energy, which was clairsentience. And, you know, from then on, it was, you know, a very different life than I would have anticipated for myself. How soon after the 87 event did this continue then? Was it just well, repetition? It, no, it continued. I mean, you know, my experiences continued. I didn't know what was going on. I was saying to my friends, I'm seeing these lights around people, and they're saying, well, you may have a detached retina, you may have a brain tumor, and somebody else oh, said, you know, there's this healer that I know, and maybe you want to go see her. So I went to this woman to get a context, and I said to her, you know, I see these lights around people, and she said, oh, how lovely, I see them too. And then I ended up going for energy work for a period of time and a couple of years later got the courage to study and you know i was living a different life i was a college teacher for 25 years so i wasn't looking to make this my work or my life but once i studied energy healing i found that when i had my hands on people's bodies i could hear things for them so if i had my chat my hands on your chest i heard the name charlotte out of the blue i would say well who's charlotte you'd say well my mother my wife my girlfriend and I was volunteering at a center in those days. It was the height of the AIDS epidemic, and these places were opening up um, for alternative support. And, you know, that was my training, really. And I did a little group that met in my apartment, and that's when the channeling really began. They didn't start lecturing through me fully until about 12 years ago, and that was after I quit smoking. Um, then everything changed. I was hearing and I was running energy and it was quite palpable and available. But once the lectures started and I became willing to record them and then transcribe them, that's when the book started. And it's, it's not stopped. You know, they've done pretty much a book a year. And the books are done over, say, you know, the course of 30 days of sittings. The first book took two weeks, two and a half, um, of just sitting in a chair and talking into a recorder with somebody, you know, present on the phone or a group of people before me. That's how they're all done. I can't do it by myself. There has to be an active listener for these things to occur. The title of this book, Paul, is called The Kingdom. What does that mean, represent? Well, the guides say the kingdom is the realization or the knowing or the experience of the inherent divine in all manifestation. The guides say there is one note playing in the entire universe that's in manifestation is all things. So everything is an articulation or manifestation of that one note played. And the realization of that one note, which is the source of all things, actually claims us in a higher awareness. So we become participatory to the inherent divinity that's always been present, but they say we've been in denial of it. You know, they say humanity's only real problem is one, and which is the denial of the inherent divine, which is all things are holy. We just continue to refute that. Have you become more spiritual over the years? Yeah, I have. But not, you know, I don't wear white, you know, I still eat a burger, you know, yeah. I don't have, 
You know, I mean, I, I meditate when I can. You know, in some ways, my practice is the channeling and the readings. But yeah, I was raised without any of this stuff. It was pretty much a blank slate for me, and I think perhaps there was a hunger for it. But I wouldn't have ever thought that I would end up doing what somebody might call spiritual work. I think of myself as a radio. I mean, that's my job. I sit in a chair, I take dictation, and when I read for people, I tune into them, and then they're the radio stations that I play. And that's my work. But I can no longer comfortably live in a world where I think that everything is just what you see and as we were told. There's far more going on than we are even aware of, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think of all the stations there are to play on a radio, I'm a radio, so there's lots of stations to play. It's sure. all sort of tuned into this one that's kind of a mess right now. But there are other stations that we can align to and play and then begin to support that reality in manifestation, which is the work of the Book of the Kingdom. As the radio, who does the tuning? Do you do that, or do they do that through you? It's a good question. I mean, there's certain things that I need to do, you know, like I can't eat sugar before I channel because I'll get stoned from it and then I'm, I'm not as effective. Huh. But, you know, they're doing the tuning. I've had a channel, you know, I remember having to put my, my dog, who was my, my dear companion, to sleep and then having to do a public channeling oh, that's right, right after, thinking nothing would happen. And they step in and they do their own thing regardless of how I feel. They might address how I feel or what I'm going through, if it's of use for their teaching. But, you know, I do feel that I work as an instrument, and I think that my job is to show up as this, and I think, you know, it's kind of like any instrument. As you continue to be played, you get refined. And I think the guides have probably refined my system a lot, you know, through my willingness to continue to show up for this. And I show up for this even when I don't want to, which is, you know, a fair amount of the time. You know, it's 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 hard on the body. Um, you know, I'm stepping into people all the time, and I'm literally sitting there. I just finished doing five days on a new book in front of a group of people last week, and after every session, I felt like I'd just gotten a shot of Novocaine in my head. Wow. You know, I was numb. And it was like the energy was that high, but, you know, it's taken me a week to sort of recalibrate and get comfortable again. Will you be able to take calls the way you normally do? Yeah. I don't want to exhaust you. for crying No, out. I can do that. I mean, I'm happy to do it. You know, it's, um, you know, reading for people is actually kind of fun. Channeling, which is just dictation, that's a different kind of work. I mean, it's like being, you know, the court stenographer. You're sitting there and you're, I repeat everything that I hear and I only hear a phrase at a time. When I'm reading for people, it's like being in conversation with them at a higher level, and it's actually kind of fun. Now, this book, The Kingdom, is a little different from some of the other books you've written. Tell me why. Well, they're moving into a really experiential teaching. They pretty much said, you know, they've given an intellectual context for their work, and they're kind of done with it. So this is about having the experience of you know, the divine or the energy of God or whatever you want to call it. I mean, in the very first book, which was called I Am the Word, which they dictated in 2009 over a couple of weeks, they said, you know, this is a book that 
is experienced more than is read. And, you know, nobody knew who I was or what I did when the first book came out, but the reviews started coming in on Amazon, and people were saying, you know, I'm reading this book and my body's vibrating. I'm reading this book and I'm seeing auras. So the books have always operated this way, as energetic transmissions that work directly with the reader. But in the kingdom, they're taking us beyond, I think, our personal agenda, for who we think we're supposed to be and really giving us an experience of who we truly are, which is kind of beyond the mask that we've worn or, you know, the BS that we've ascribed to. Right. And I'd say we have a small self that knows itself in history, and that's not really who we are. Do your guides, Paul, give us a warning about anything, about the direction humanity's going in or anything? Well, they have, you know. Supposedly, and I, I don't recall this because it was in a live stream, they predicted pretty much what's been happening in the world. I don't know how they laid it out, but I just remembered saying to them, please, if this happened, I was in New York for 9-11. I don't want to be in New York. Let me just be someplace nice. And I was actually out of the country, you know, when New York shut down, and I've actually never gone back. I now live on Maui, of all places, unexpectedly. But what the guides have said since the beginning is that humanity is at a time of reckoning, and a reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations, and everything that's been created in fear needs to be recreated in a higher way. And this includes economic structures, religions, how we treat one another. What the guides have been saying in the last book um, and I was relieved to hear this. And the last book was channeled, you know, last summer, you know, when the world was, was really in chaos. But they yeah, said, you know, absolutely. we've decided, you know, humanity collectively has decided to move forward. This is going to happen. It's not going to be comfortable. You know, there's a big wave of change, and you have the opportunity to kind of ride the wave or, or get pummeled by it. You know, you really can't resist the level of change that's coming, but they actually talk about it in a very positive way and with great hope for us. You know, we're going to have to sort of change our minds, I think, about who we are and how we treat one another. And that's hard. You know, the guides have said, you know, our belief in separation from each other reached a level that we also believe ourselves to be separate from our source. And in fact, we're not. And they keep it really simple. They say, who you damn and what you damn damns you back. Who you put in darkness calls you to that darkness. And what you bless, and they say a blessing is just the realization of the presence of the divine upon something, blesses you in return. And it's an easy way to begin to navigate change and times of change. But they say, right now for all of us, the road is lit only as we walk it. We don't have the guarantees of the old anymore, and we're not going to get them, is what I hear. Now, do the guides ever talk about a god, godly figure or anything like that? Well, they say God is all things. You know, God, they say God is the infrastructure of all realities. You know, it's the one note played. So they don't talk about, certainly, a, you know, an old guy in a cloud. They talk about the realization of what they call the monad, and the monad, they say, is the divine spark that's in all of us, the piece of us that knows itself as being of the whole. And the realization of the monad is the manifestation of the inherent divine that can be known in form, 
which is what they're teaching. So we begin to know ourselves as of the whole and consequently begin to have a very different experience of ourselves, hopefully, you know, beyond separation, which is really where they're taking us in their books. You know, we think we're separate from our source. And they say that's really an illusion, but it's a good illusion because everything that we've sort of inherited here on this culture and this world has been espousing separation, you know, and they're taking us beyond that to a place of, of reunification with our source. Have you ever been frightened by the things you do? When I was beginning to do this work, um, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting to feel, you know, what was going on in other people's bodies, and I wasn't expecting to hear. And I, it wasn't frightening because I've never, I've been very fortunate. I don't get information that's fear-based. If people are getting information that's fear-based, in my opinion, they're tuned into lower energies, and that's not what I do. Um, so I've been gifted with that. But I was, every part of my life has been challenged by this work. I mean, I was a college teacher. I taught at NYU for 25 years. I loved what I did. I wasn't looking to make a name for myself doing this. And when I first got a website, I didn't have my name on it or my photograph. You had to know somebody to get an appointment with me. It was like a speakeasy, you know, and that's how I wanted uh -huh. to keep going. But once the book started coming, I had to sort of step into my work and then deal with that crap. So my concerns have less to do with the guides than, you know, my, the challenges that I find you know, being, you know, more public with this work. You know, I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm not a guru. I have no desire to be any of those things. I'm happy to show up for this work in the way that I do. And how, it's a skill that's developed, and that's my job. How did the first book come about? First book was interesting. I was, you know, I got fired from a job. I was teaching. I had that life steady. But I, I had a writing job, and I got fired from it, and I... And I had, I had been a writer with the worst case of writer's block of anybody I've ever met. It was a source of enormous shame for me in my life because I'd been, you know, quite prolific as a kid. And then I quit drinking at 25 and, you know, I suddenly didn't have access to the old way of working. So I went to bed because that's what you do when you get fired from something. I went to bed and a friend of mine called me and she said, you know, Paul, this might be a good time to write that memoir about how you became clairaudient. And I said, I don't think I'm ever going to write anything again. And my guides piped in and interrupted the call, and they said, we have a book to write, and if you take two weeks, we'll do it. And at that moment, my ego had been quashed. I really didn't care what people thought about me. I had unexpected free time, and I agreed. And we set a time to meet on the phone, and two days later, they dictated the beginning of this book called I Am the Word. It took two and a half weeks because I took two days off to go teach at NYU. Gee, that's fantastic. But that was it, you know, and that's, 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 and then they just haven't stopped. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.